This is Grow and Thrive, a call to action. I'm Brielle Marias. I work in marketing at Intuit. And I'm Laura Maysmith, another marketer here at Intuit. On this show, we provide you with insights and practical applications to help you thrive as a modern marketer and communicator. We all know that shaping human behavior is a huge part of our job, but let's face it, sometimes the daily grind can distract us from the bigger picture. And that's why we're going to dig into how behavioral science is changing and influencing what we do every day. Behavioral science has come a long way, and there are so many new approaches and experiments that we should all keep up with. And to help us with all of this, I'm so excited to welcome our guest today, Jamie Cornick, Principal UX Researcher here at Intuit. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. To start, I actually think it would be super helpful to explain a bit about what we're talking about. So if you wouldn't mind, can you please explain to us what behavioral science is? Sure. Behavioral science is actually a very broad field, and it studies human behavior in different facets. It pulls in from psychology, sociology, anthropology, neuroscience, and it really seeks to understand why people behave in different ways that they do. Versus behavioral economics, that's actually a subfield of behavioral science that examines really how individuals make these economic decisions and ultimately allows us to apply those principles into how we can potentially influence behavior for the good. Is there any vivid examples you could share of behavioral science as it relates to marketing? Because as we know, a lot of our audience is marketers and communicators. Of course. So one example I would provide is on the TurboTax website, specifically looking at the pricing page. Previously, when we had started with TurboTax, we had four products. And then we added two more services to the lineup. So our products were free, deluxe, self-employed, and premier. And then adding two more services, such as assisted and full service, ended up creating a 12-SKU lineup. And 12 choices is really hard when you're deciding on which SKU to start with. What had happened, though, when we had conflated all these products and services into one decision is that it led people with this cognitive overload. So what we did to really address that is parse out those two decisions. What is it that they need? What product fits their specific situation? And then followed it by what service do they want? What service do they want to start with? Is it assisted? Is it full service? So people can make those two decisions, not simultaneously, but separately. So they're looking at what out of those three do I want? And then which product is best for me? Creating that hierarchy allow them to more easily move forward, not just making it easier to start, but ultimately significantly reducing the required upgrades when it comes to using TurboTax. Okay, awesome. We're going to be able to talk a lot more about the different types of experiments Intuit is doing and what you're working on, but let's back up a little bit. How do you describe what you do to folks who are outside of your professional world and how did you get into this field? So I would describe what I do is really under the umbrella of behavioral design. It's applying these behavioral science principles to understand how and why we behave in certain ways, and then applying that to the design process to really inform and influence these design decisions. I work with different teams and projects across CG to really elevate these creative experiences by incorporating behavioral science tactics and then working with them in these basically three different ways. I work with them on a project consultant basis, or I plan these group ideation sessions, or I do broader share outs, workshops, subject matter expert sessions. And then to answer your second part of how did I get into this field? 
I've always been fascinated with how humans make decisions. And being in the research world for so long, I really wanted to grow my skill set in different ways. So adding this layer of psychology onto my craft seemed natural in order to really expand my way of thinking and be able to look at marketing and UX research on a, a larger scale. Now, you said you work in CG. And for those who don't work internally, CG is consumer group. So what are some of the brands that you that you work on? So my focus is really on TurboTax, which is the flagship brand across the Intuit ecosystem. So I'm really looking at like the, the front doors at first touch point, thinking about the marketing funnel, really allowing them to be confident and using TurboTax and ultimately completing with us. So I think with behavioral science and psychology, there's actually a lot of different things you could do with that, right? Like my cousin just graduated with a psychology degree and there's so many different ways you can go. But was there anything in particular about marketing that led you and attracted you with your research background? Yeah. So I've always loved marketing. I had my undergrad degree in marketing and went back to school to study advertising. So I always found it fascinating to really how do we bring products in the world and enable a greater level of awareness and interest and consideration, taking people through that funnel. So then layering in the behavioral science, we can really nudge them along to persuade them at these various times. So adding that deeper lens to that funnel, allowing us to add more insights about people and considering that role of emotions within the decision-making rather than just looking at analytics and data and research. I want to talk through some of the big buckets of human behavior, especially counterintuitive behavior that we think about as marketers. I think this is so interesting because we're always trying to think about customer pain points in marketing. And we know from a lot of research that people often say one thing and do another. So there's definitely an element of counterintuitive behavior. What's up with that disconnect and how it shows up in marketing? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a say-do gap, which is the discrepancy between what we say versus what we actually do. And there's that definite disconnect, as you mentioned, that happens actually quite frequently. And this is influenced by different factors, various individual factors, situationally speaking. For example, we have a limited self-awareness when people are not necessarily fully aware of their own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, Mm -hmm. or there's social desirability bias where people want to be viewed in a certain way. And so I also think about if we do make 90% of our decisions subconsciously, how do we really capture more raw reactions versus perceived behavior to really create that optimal environment, not necessarily what they say that they're going to do, but how they actually behave. Yeah. And that connects a lot with like prototyping. We talk about rapid prototyping at Intuit a lot with a way to get really quick information about how people behave. And we often talk about how it's not a survey. It's really genuinely about finding a behavior that you can observe so that that's the data that you're responding to. Exactly. Like how can we get closer and closer to understanding how people show up when they don't even necessarily know they're showing up in different ways? If we place Mm -hmm. our hand on our cheek, if we nod our head, every three seconds we're making these decisions and we don't necessarily aren't fully even aware of what we're doing because of these patterns, these habits and so forth. So how do we bring an extra level of self-awareness? How do we hold the mirror up for not just us to see it, but also potentially they could see themselves too in different ways that maybe Mm -hmm. they didn't actually notice initially. I also want to talk here about irrationality, which I think is a part of this and is somewhat related. So how do we figure out the why people do irrational things? Who's acting irrationally? (laughs) No, as humans, though, we act irrational for different reasons. And I think that 
I mean, we're human beings. We're not robots. And so I think we do things for different reasons that we may not even be aware of. And there's a lot of cognitive biases and mental shortcuts that we take in order to make faster decisions because we wouldn't actually be able to cognitively process all the decisions that we take. We make thousands of decisions every day. So we have to make shortcuts in order to get through the day quicker. But with that, there's a shadow side of it. For example, you know, confirmation bias. When we are seeking out information, sometimes we'll do it to confirm our own existing beliefs and actually ignore information that contradicts contradicts them. And so we are actually just like validating our own perspective, which then could lead to irrational behavior. But we have to do it in order to say, hey, look, we got to go quicker. We got to make these decisions. Otherwise, we'd be sitting around all day. Or like, for example, there could be a lack of information. People don't have all the information. So they rely on different assumptions, these shortcuts that ends up leading people to act irrationally. So I love that you were talking about the broader idea of decision making. A lot of marketing is about influencing how people make decisions. And as professionals, we're trying to influence how, you know, our stakeholders and leadership make decisions also, right? So what are some of the interesting things that you've learned about decision making from behavioral science that would help us? Some interesting things I've come across is that we can be blind to the obvious and we're also blind to our blindness, which highlights our tendency to overlook or ignore obvious information or biases. And also the human mind is just a machine that oftentimes does not even know its own interests. And these cognitive biases and limited rationalities can lead us astray when it comes to decision making. So sometimes we do actually need that external nudge or intervention to guide us toward these choices that align with our best interests, really highlighting the importance of behavioral design. With decision-making, I think we influence each other on far greater levels than we're aware of, on a very subconscious degree. And so, for example, when we think about what are those interesting things, I think like social pressure, the pressure from others Mm -hmm. around certain expectations and these surroundings also influence us. And within the work environment, they impact us a lot, even if it doesn't necessarily seem logical. We have to do things for different reasons. So like, how might we really understand how do we make these decisions on a subconscious level in order to do things different to like really enable confident decisions for our customers? I also think that there's a huge opportunity internally to use behavioral science. How do we allow our partners to all have this like shared understanding? And ultimately, if we are coming in from different angles, I'm coming from a a space of like, I represent the voice of the customer and I speak on their needs versus my partner's KPIs could be around revenue. It could be on long-term value, yet our goals may be different. So how do we come to an agreement and making the best decision forward? And so oftentimes, you know, you eat your own dog food. It's understanding, well, what is holding them back from moving in the direction that is actually better for the customer, better for the business? And and how do we move forward and, and understanding those blockers? What are those barriers holding them back from said behavior? If I have a key behavior that I want them to take, or they have a key behavior that they want me to take, understanding those, those barriers to ultimately reduce those blockages and those hurdles so we can continue to move forward. So a lot of those blockers and when there's goal misalignments, those can come across as conflicts. And I want to talk about and ask you about conflicts because you say it's highly connected to decision-making. Conflict is inevitable. It makes us human. We will never always see eye to eye. And I think that there's different ways of conflict. There, Conflict 
comes from, and it ultimately impedes us from making a decision because we feel conflicted, right? That feeling, the unsettling feeling where we ultimately need to address it and resolve it in order to feel confident to move forward in the decision that we're making. And so the feeling of being conflicted is essentially having two different voices in your head that doesn't align. So you're pulled, it's this internal tug of war. You're pulled in this direction, you're pulled in that direction, and those two voices in your head Or alternatively, I could have a voice in my head and you could have a voice in your head and now we are in conflict. That comes out looking like a debate where it's like I'm debating something. It's essentially the same thing. Two voices that don't see eye to eye that are getting pulled in different directions. And so when you are conflicted, you can't make a decision. You actually have an emotional block holding you back from moving forward within the experience. And so... I think it's it's super important to really understand what is the conflict and how can we resolve it as fast as possible. So that speed to resolution combined with empathy and understanding is critical to getting to a faster decision because we could be at a standstill for a long time unless we resolve and we say, all right, well, what is actually happening here? How do we really get a deep understanding? And then how do we move fast with conviction? And so the quicker we can come to terms with it and resolve it, the faster we can move forward. And on this side, for fun, I actually built an app that quantifies decision-making within the context of conflict. The app is called Third Vote, and it measures the distance between these two perspectives that exist in conflict within each other and ultimately helps us get to a resolution and decision easier by calculating that gap that exists between these two vantage points to enable more confident decision-making via third perspective. So how can we as marketers and communicators help people make better decisions? I think understanding the psychology of the behavior. Why are people making the decisions that they do? And then we can use behavioral nudges, which are these subtle interventions to really influence behavior without restricting choice. People love their choice. We don't want to necessarily take that away, but we want to intervene in some way in like a natural organic level. And whether it's social proof or scarcity, priming to encourage consumers to take this desired action, such as a purchase. When it comes to marketers and communicators helping people make decisions, it really comes down to understanding the psychology of the behavior. Why are people making the decisions that they do? And then using these behavioral nudges, which are these subtle interventions to influence them without restricting the choice. Choice is super important for people to feel like they're in control. And there's these nudges that we can integrate into the experience, social proof, scarcity, to really encourage consumers to take that desired action, such as a purchase. And then on top of it, when we think about being a marketer or communicator and and allowing them to make better decisions, we really want to simplify that decision-making process. Often we have a lot that we want to say. And with all that stuff, you know, legal requirements, SEO stuff, sometimes it is difficult to say, how do we present this in a clear and concise set of options? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, to take it one step further, how do we focus on reducing those barriers that are preventing them from getting from point A to point B? So I would say, think about the psychology, use behavioral nudges, simplify decision-making, and ultimately reduce the barriers that can help people make better decisions. So we've been talking a lot about how we as marketers and communicators can help people make better decisions. And we were lucky enough to host you as a subject matter expert internally to help people learn behavioral science. And you walked through a process that you use on your team in order to help persuade people to make a decision. Can you walk us through that? 
Happy to, Laura. At a high level, it's these five steps that we often use and resort to as our behavioral economics framework. Number one, we start with identifying the key behavior. With the example that I had given earlier on the pricing page, we had 12 call to actions. So what is the primary key behavior when we got 12 CTAs? So really understanding what is it that we want them to do and aligning on that key behavior. And then number two is map out that process. We oftentimes in CG, we use Figma as our XD tool to map out the the experience. So we can just leverage what we already use to use that as step number two. And then three, identify the psychologies at play. What is happening on a cognitive level? Is it choice friction? Is it cognitive overload? Is it regret aversion? What is going on there? And then we want to get into exploring solutions. What are all the different ways that we can address these barriers? Internally in CG, we'll actually even keep that in Figma and brainstorm internally and get that all living in one spot. And then lastly, we iterate and experiment. The iteration process is critical because you don't always nail it on the first try. You can explore all sorts of different creative solutions. And so it is important to not necessarily think of it as one and done, the silver bullet, but more of an experimental process and an iterative approach to how to integrate behavioral science in. How do you think Intuit approaches behavioral science differently than other places? I think uh, many other companies have approached behavioral science by building out a dedicated team for the craft. However, that contains the knowledge amongst a small group of individuals and Mm -hmm. kind of puts them on their own little island. Here at Intuit, we've leaned more into a behavioral-enabled organization. And what that looks like is the knowledge of behavioral science is actually diffused across the organization, and the process is reflected in the knowledge and support in its deployment. So the behavioral science is actually part of our business as usual, rather than having these special projects, Mm -hmm. in which it, it becomes more resilient and more sustainable when we shift out of a dedicated behavioral science team to more integrated into how we work, ensuring support and really integrating into our work stream versus isolation. Are there any cool experiments you've been working on or that you're most excited about? I mean, this is such a fun area. I think it'll help me and Brie nerd out a little bit too. (laughs) Yeah, we actually just finished up some, what I would dub as like experiential research to really capture those raw reactions versus perceived behavior and closing that gap, the say-do gap that we had just talked about. Mm -hmm. So one part of our research was we actually had a hidden camera to understand what do people do when they don't necessarily know they're being studied. Obviously, when someone knows they're being watched, they change their behavior and we can't help but do that. And so this particular research project, this part of it, was understanding how do people shop for different products? What decisions do they take into consideration? Because with that mindset, we could apply that to how people shop at TurboTax. And what are they considering? Are they considering price? Are they considering purpose or value? And how do they determine that? And taking that framework and then applying it in different capacities. If we integrate scarcity into this experience, how do they relate to that when we limit the availability? availability of mm-hmm. one product, or if they don't know what one of the products are on, on the table, we put a trophy on the table. They didn't know what a trophy was. So how do they decide whether they want to take that product or not? Another element of the workshop that we had just ran was also around 
taking them through this funnel. We now have tax advisors that people can take advantage of. And in theory, people are are really interested in tax advisors. It seems like a, a great resource that people would want to have. However, we believe that there's actually going to be a gap between this interest and also intention to use it. And maybe they don't know when to use a tax advisory out of tax season. Maybe they don't know how. Maybe they don't know what questions to ask. So how do we really uncover those gaps? And so we had given at this workshop everyone free access to a tax advisor for 30 days. After we had gained interest of it, it seemed like there was a lot of interest in it. So we'll be able to see after 30 days whether someone uses it with an intention to plan a nudge about halfway through to nudge them, right? Because we talk about nudging to nudge them, to encourage this behavior change, to say, hey, can we get them to take this specific action of calling us or emailing them for tax advice? Okay, this might be a tough question. Do you have a favorite behavioral science principle? A favorite behavioral science principle? It's the nerdiest question mm, we've ever asked on the podcast, but I'm just going it. there. I'm just bringing in the there. nerdiness, Brie, okay? It's why you asked me to join. <laughs> Like if you, if you had to get a principal tattooed on your body, what would, <laughs> what would it be? Would I mean, I get them all. It's interesting because like two principles come to mind immediately, which is like, what does my gut reaction say? One of them is very much applied to marketing, the marketing ecosystem at TurboTax, which is like the choice friction that we see so often. It's constant. I don't know what to choose. Taxes are confusing. I'm overwhelmed. I've got mm-hmm. FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And how do we create an easy, create an easy experience for them to not have that like overload and not feel like they're overwhelmed by what to choose? They actually feel confident. They know exactly what to choose. It's easy for them. And so in the marketing ecosystem, I probably would pick that. Outside of that, I think the IKEA effect is something that I think about. IKEA effect is when the product increases in perceived value when you have contributed to the build of it. So when you purchase something at Ikea, you're actually building it and working on it. And then they could actually charge more because there's this collaboration. You feel like you have now built it with them. And so it's like, well, how can we do it? Knowing that people, you know, especially Gen Zers right now, they want to be a part of the build of it. They want to be involved in the the creation of the bringing out to this world. And if that is the case, then there's actually an opportunity to say they actually value that more too. And we could potentially charge more and everything. It's like a win-win for everyone involving them into the process, which I love to do. I'm a huge advocate of the human-centered design framework. And how do we bring them into the room early on and get them into the conversation? When, you know, at this workshop, that we did. It was a co-creation workshop. Our customers had every table with our partners. And before it started, my partner was like, where's the two-way mirror? You know, and he wanted to put them behind the mirror. And and that's very common in research design. I was like, look, there is no mirror here. We're bringing them. They're going to sit down next to you. And I think that there's so much value that could be learned there to say, hey, look, what happens if we all come together? It turns out actually the value goes up. So mm-hmm. I think that there's just so many opportunities to really integrate behavioral science into it and get Ikea effect tattooed on your body. So I already thought that right on my arm would look really good Ikea effect. I think that's amazing. I can see like holding like a screwdriver, but not a screwdriver, one of those like L screwdrivers that that are like not, yeah, that's what it would be. It's perfect. Ideally. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like right across my forehead, you know, so you go really know. Yeah. You know, like just what you lead with. It's it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I want people right. to know loud and proud of behavioral science. <laughs> All right. So kind of shifting gears a little bit. What is your advice for someone who might be interested in getting into behavioral science? 
Yeah, and when it comes to behavioral science in the field, it's still pretty relatively new. So organizations have not figured it all out yet, which helps for us because they don't necessarily know exactly what they're doing. So we could potentially get into the door in an easier way because it's nothing set in stone. The clay is still wet. It has not dried yet. And so even if you don't know where you're going with it, just learn, have a learner's mindset, read widely, stay current. There's no clear path right now. Mm -hmm. Just keep on experimenting. And even if your experiment failed the first time, it doesn't mean the whole thing is a failure. So stay curious, be open-minded. Don't get trapped in your own point of view. Really understand different biases, apply it to the key behaviors. Just get hands-on practice. Like apply the principles, look for ways to get involved and just start doing it, whatever Mm -hmm. you can. And it's okay, fail fast, learn quickly. And eventually you'll start growing and you'll you'll find a space to, to work on it more. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that you can't just learn from a book that you really do have to apply to get good at it. And so mm-hmm. as a reminder, the first step to being really good at something is being bad at something. So you might start off and not feel really confident and that's okay. Exactly. And then once you start getting the hang of it and you get more comfortable, you'll start seeing it everywhere, all in the wild, all these companies doing it. And then it just opens up your vantage point and you'll be able to spot it. I see what's happening over there. I get it. That's the decoy effect, right? The decoy effect is when you have one option in there that's just a decoy, just to throw you off, right? If you think about going to the movie theaters and you have three bags of popcorn, you see the large is slightly more expensive than the medium. And you're like, well, I'll just upgrade to the large then. Well, the medium is just a decoy. So everyone eats more popcorn and, and buys a bigger bag. And so I think that once you start learning it and getting comfortable with it, yes, it's going to be weird and uncomfortable mm-hmm. and you you probably will mess up at first and that's okay. And you just keep going with it. And eventually, as you mentioned, Bree, it's like, it's like riding a bike and you'll get experience with it. Yep. I can't believe it's already time for this, but we like to end the podcast with something we call a call to action. Can you give our listeners some advice on how they can start learning about or applying behavioral science? Sure. I think that there's a ton of resources out there in which you can learn behavioral science. There's books such as Thinking Fast and Slow or Nudge, which are great reads. I'm a huge proponent of learn by doing. Just start applying it to your work. Take that first step with your team, align on the key behavior, which is the most important step in the framework because it establishes the focus of the analysis and really provides that clear goal for designing interventions. So I would say just focus on that most important behavior and prioritize those efforts. Ultimately, add into it, the opportunities are endless here. So I think with that, prioritization is critical. Perfect. Jamie, it was so nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to see your Ikea tattoo. Yeah. Well, we're getting matching ones, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The three of us. Let's go. Bandwagon effect, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's it for this episode of Grow and Thrive, A Call to Action. We would love to hear from you. So drop us a note with feedback, questions, or ideas at a call to action podcast at intuit.com. And make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Grow and Thrive, A Call to Action is a production of Marketing and Communications Learning and Development Team at Intuit. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.